So who was better, Akeem or Shaq? Akeem was better. Shaq was more dominant, but Akeem was better. <laughs> you want me to expand on that? <laughs> yeah, I, I do. <laughs> All right, so go ahead, expand on that. Well, I, I think as far as his talent, I, I, I think Dream had more talent. He could, you know... Shaq had handlers, but Dream had a little bit better handlers. Dream could shoot free throws. We all know about Shaq's free throws. He had a fadeaway. Shaq was just for just this brute strength, just dunk on you and just, you know, get you out of the way. And I, I think that is the difference was, you know, Dream had a little bit of strength. He could go you know, pound for pound. Because think about it. He went up against Patrick Ewing, you know, a strong guy. David Robinson, strong guy, you know. And, and that's what I mean about Shaq was more dominant in the sense that he could just, Dream wasn't going to dunk on you. He was going to shake you out your pants and then shoot a fadeaway, or he might dunk on you. But it's that difference that made that separated. You know, Shaq, when he was in Orlando, he had a little bit of more finesse. But as he got older, he got bigger and stronger, and he just knew what to do. He's just, I'm just going to drop step you, dunk on you. I'm going to hit you with a little jump hook and these things. So he was dominant because of his strength and power. And Dream was just a little bit better because of his finesse and his power. That's Robert Ori taking Akeem over Shaq. We're going to talk with Lori about his rings and whether or not he should be in the Hall of Fame and an NBA scouting report exercise where I do a self-scouting report and life advice. This episode is presented to you by Lululemon. The perfect pants do exist and you can get them at Lululemon. The men's ABC pants are shockingly comfortable and breathable and they come in tons of different styles and fabrics all made to make you look and feel good. Whether you're in the office, at the gym, cheering in the stands or just relaxing at home, these pants are in a league of their own. Buy a pair today at lululemon.com. This episode is brought to you by Netflix. A gentleman always opens the door for you, but the gentlemen are just as likely to break it down and stash their drugs inside. The Gentleman, based on Guy Ritchie's award-winning film, is a new Netflix series that follows a whole new cast of criminal lords and ladies slumming it in Britain's criminal underworld. Guns out and pinkies up. Don't miss The Gentleman, now playing only on Netflix. I want to start today's pod uh, talking about something that I've been kicking around as an idea because I think it applies to everything. And that is, if you look at how we could talk about everyone, certainly with athletes, in this case, the NBA playoffs, you can talk yourself into, you can talk yourself out of an athlete. I've done this numerous times. I've used it in examples, but I want to go a little deeper on this because I started thinking, like, who has the highest approval rating? Not just in the NBA. I'm talking about life. Like, who would be the person you go, you know, you don't hear a lot of negativity about that guy. If that guy posts something or if she posts something, like, who seems that just everybody's sort of in? I think Beyonce had a really good run there for a while. Um, maybe not as high now, but I think the peak thing and then it's kind of like I'm a mom. What's up? People really seem to be into that. I think The Rock is another one. You don't hear a ton about it. I just think everybody likes The Rock. He's done a great job. And when you run into him, as I have once at work, you know, you leave feeling better about yourself because The Rock was just, he was cool. Um, it seems to be genuine. So I don't think that there's many times you could sit there and be like, oh, I don't know, how good is he as an actor? You know, I don't know. I don't know the Beyonce catalog enough to, to be negative about it. And I'm, I'm 5% fearful of it. But I was thinking about it for a couple players because as we go through this playoff season, and I've done this before, I want to track like each story I remember one time there was like a chance that LeBron was going to have to play Dwayne Wade in the first round of the playoffs. And people were like, you know, that's that could really be something there. And you're like, why? Like that team's not that good. And it's LeBron. So why, why would he be worried about playing them? But you understand the point, like the way we will look at the results 
and it kind of changes the way we feel about a player for the offseason and then that next season hangover because of an early exit or an incredible run. I mean, Jimmy Butler's a really good example of this where I like Jimmy Butler. I've never really thought he's a top 10 guy. And part of me goes, is he difficult or was he right about the Minnesota team? Probably. Um, actually, he definitely was. He was, was he right about the Philadelphia guys? Yeah, there's probably some stuff there that you could say Jimmy Butler was right about. But then they have that run and then you go, okay, now am I supposed to just think like Jimmy Butler's a top five guy and this guy's incredible? And he had a really good year this year too. So he's all NBA on top of everything else. And they lose in the first round. That Miami team had, had all sorts of problems. But then I could write this, if I wanted to be really nasty and negative about Butler, I could. And I know I've been critical at times while also complimentary, which is what I like to do. I mean, I could do this about myself, right? If I were a scout scouting me, writing about me, if I wanted to be positive, I could say, um, and I did this, will outwork everyone, has no ceiling for himself, holds himself to a higher standard on work than others will hold him to, cares, thinks of others, won't get married until he thinks he's a good fit, likes to compete, has to compete, has to make himself feel uncomfortable every few years, adaptable, can work with guys like Simmons, Van Pelt, go on part of my take and Woj and still be able to hang, works well with others if you are as committed. Now, if you want to trash me, I could do that one too. What the fuck with this guy? Cool, he works hard. What about the rest of his life? Confident, but too confident? Can he just relax? Does anyone like him? Does he like anyone? Is the single thing a red flag? Is it that no one can stand him? Competes at what? Lifting? Cool. We've heard about it. Does he know it's over? He's not going to play for any teams. SVP show was all SVP. He benefited from that. A few complaints from coworkers. I mean, I know which one I like better. And, you know, the complaints thing about coworkers, usually those are the people that were the laziest, so that was never going to work out. I mean, that's... That can happen now. I mean, think about Chris Paul if Anthony Davis doesn't get hurt. I think the Lakers win that series. Chris Paul's out in the first round. And then it's dump on Chris Paul time. And instead, he goes for what? He goes six for six, 13 points in the fourth quarter, completely takes over, dominates game one. Where There was a time where he didn't take a corner three earlier in the game. And I was like, oh, no, is he still hurt? Like, how did he not take that three? He got rid of it immediately. And then it was like, oh, I, I think he's good. This is the best he's looked in a couple weeks but it would have been very, very different. And he still has a chance to disappoint because most of these star players end up disappointing. Giannis is on that path. Giannis is on that path to nobody's going to want to, to vouch for this guy. You know what I mean? Other than Bucks fans, where you have to admit in a moment of honesty, you're like, wait, is there something wrong here? Now, there's clearly something wrong. The rest of the team isn't exactly killing it either. And the biggest thing that could be happening right now is we're going to be sitting here in a few weeks being like, why did any of us ever doubt the Brooklyn Nets? And I think there are people that haven't. And I just wondered if it could all come together. And without Harden, it's horrifying. And all the role players are terrific. And everybody's doing everything. And Durant looks like he might be the best player in the world. But you get the point, right? Depending on the day and depending on the end of the series, how will we update your legacy? Because I could do the Tom Bill legacy with a bunch of NBA stars, but I just thought it'd be pretty pointless to be like, hey, Paul's up. Uh, I got Jokic down. I got Booker up. Uh, I got Giannis down. I got Middleton way down. All right, you get the point. Luca's kind of facing that. Like, he's the pre-Giannis in a way because he's still so young and the first-round playoff exits, whatever. They weren't the better team. But I knew this would happen with Giannis unless he got out of the East. You know, finals appearance probably would have been good enough for him. But Luca is the next guy. You know, Giannis wins MVPs because the guy that wins MVPs were also going to hold to a higher standard. So let's do the exercise with Luca. 
All right, let's be positive first. Uh, he's 22. Shooting's improved every year. Hasn't gotten past the Clippers the last two playoffs, but Dallas was clearly the inferior team. Team needs to get better. Gets everyone involved, though. Porzingis has to get better to help him. Plays at his own pace. Total confidence will be an MVP. Want to be negative? Let's do it. Hasn't been out of the first round. Trey Young has, and so has Aiton from the same draft class. I've actually heard people saying this, like real people. Dallas, too dependent on him. 39% usage rate in the playoffs this year. Easily the highest of anyone in the playoffs. Jokic at 35% second. Regular season, number two the last two years in usage. Needs to get better at keeping teammates engaged. It's not just about the assists. Has to do a better job of getting Przingis going. Can't fall in love with the three. Was preseason MVP favorite. Came in out of shape. What happened? Team falls apart when he's not out there. Is that possibly because they aren't used to playing without him controlling every possession? How long before he competes for the West? <laughs> um, I, I'm all for like some hints at criticisms with Doncic, but when you're 22, you look like you're on the path here. I mean, trying to come up with the top five players right now is ridiculous because Jokic is going to win the MVP, and I don't even know if he's a top five player, and I've loved literally everything that I've seen from him. AD's in a tough spot, though. Anthony Davis now, especially in a Lakers market, which is entirely different than basically every other market except for a couple, and certainly more intense than New Orleans' market. But this is where, you know, whatever stage of doubt there is for Doncic publicly, Anthony Davis is at the latter stages of this. I like Anthony Davis, so let's be positive first. Still only 28, has missed 71 games the last three years, but it's been a tough two years for a lot of people. He's the reason L.A. was going to win the Sun Series. After a slow start against Phoenix, went for 34-10 and 10 in games two and three. Can stretch the floor. Numbers have dipped, but that was because of injury. When he's right, meaning numbers from outside. When he's right, he's a top five player in the league. LeBron needed him to win anything. Impossible matchup. Can play the four or five. The trade is worth it no matter what. You already have a ring. He's number three in career PER behind Jordan and LeBron. Let's be negative. He's 28. Figure it out. Constantly hurt. Missed 71 games over the last three seasons. He needs a motivational boost all the time. What's the problem? The Phoenix series. Perfect example. What's up with game one? Had 42 in a regular season game against Phoenix. Scores 13 points in game one. Not a self-motivator. Deferring personality. Can be impressionable. Has been out of the first round without LeBron once. Needed LeBron to actually win anything. Overrated shooter. Has missed 71 games, as we said before, but won't play the five when he should be. Obsessed with being the four. Not a top five player. Trade could come back to haunt the Lakers. Top three in PER. PER, though, can be flawed for bigs. Both could be accurate, but are both fair? Well, I mean, when you hear it out loud, when I was writing it all down, I didn't really like doing it. I didn't really like writing any of the negative ones for any of the people involved here. Um, but it's a very easy train of facts like you just attach all of these things together and you could just start doing it with everyone i think people should start doing it for themselves read them out loud to their families and ask them which ones are more accurate but that might be just way too much for anyone to deal with so maybe don't do that and we will ease into that one a little bit so you know we already know what's going to happen with Giannis here if they can't figure it out in milwaukee like it's just part of the deal especially when you're at that top level especially when there's been moments we've discussed you as being the best player in the league because it's happened with David. It's certainly happened with Embiid. I've said 
bunch of times. There's nights where I look at Embiid and go, he's the best player in the world. Now, he doesn't do it consistently enough, and when you haven't been out of the second round, it's hard for us to go ahead and do that. Those are the rules. It'll be really interesting if Trey Young gets Philadelphia because then there's going to be the Embiid pileup, and that's it. That's the deal. And we can talk about people being too negative and players saying more and more that, you know, I don't want to have to deal with all this kind of stuff, but these are the rules. This is what you signed up for. It's not always fair. And just understand, next time you hear somebody like me talking about these players, how easy it is to talk you in or out of any single player. This episode is brought to you by Netflix. A gentleman always opens the door for you, but the gentlemen are just as likely to break it down and stash their drugs inside. The Gentleman, based on Guy Ritchie's award-winning film, is a new Netflix series that follows a whole new cast of criminal lords and ladies slumming it in Britain's criminal underworld. Guns out and pinkies up. Don't miss The Gentleman, now playing only on Netflix. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? I don't have soccer practices, whether my age or someone else's age. So I like to try to figure out how to maximize my time because I have more time than others. Whether it's going for a run, getting a workout in. My favorite thing, I love to read. And I love to go to my spot and try to veg out and not think about anything else that's going on in my life or my day other than that escape to just dive into a book and be outside. And I'm lucky that I get to do that. The best way to squeeze in that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you so that you can make it a priority. And therapy can help you figure that out. A therapist can guide you through the process of defining your values and understanding your priorities so you know what things you can spend your time on that will really fulfill you. Otherwise, you'll always be wishing for more time. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn how to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Ryan, R-Y-E-N, today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Ryan. I watch this guy all the time uh, out in Los Angeles on the Lakers uh, television crew. He's there with uh, Geeter, who I went on with, <laughs> James Worthy, Allie Clifton. It's a lot of fun. So it's been kind of fun to watch him now that I feel like it's more of a local broadcast for me. But that's the legend, Seven Rings, Robert Ory, who also has a new podcast coming out. That's Big Shot Bob Podcast. New shows every Wednesday. What's up, man? Man, I'm just loving life. A little bored now that the Lakers ain't playing no more. <laughs> so what happened? What do you think happened? I mean, it's the obvious with Anthony Davis, but what do you think were the overall issues? I mean, the health thing's the easiest answer, so I know there's not a more complicated one, but give me more thoughts on the team. You know, this this whole season to me was just dysfunctional um, in the sense of they didn't have a lot of practice time. I didn't notice to the end of the season, they only had like 19 practices the whole season. And think about it, that's 72 games. And you add a lot of new pieces, you know, Dennis Schroeder, Montrez Harrell, you know, Gasol. And you have all these new pieces to a team that just won the championship who had a nice flow at the end of the season. And all of a sudden now you don't have practice time. Guys get hurt. You get uh, health and safety protocols. I don't think they ever had a chance to become a team. You know, they were just playing out per talent. And then you can get far in the, you know, in the league by playing time. But when all of a sudden – you know, and you run against another team that's young and vibrant and is playing better together, you have an issue. Yeah, it's a really 
important part of it because when I looked at them, I'm like, okay. And then the Clippers last year, like, all right, they mm-hmm. never really figured it out. And then you could have said the same thing, but they're only through the first round. But then you look at the Brooklyn Nets out east and you go, those guys played eight games. Harden plays a minute of game one. So um, I'm with you, but I, I think that we may be seeing an exception to that, like an all-time exception with what Brooklyn is. Hey, you know, you got to understand also, those guys of all friends, they play together in the summertime. You just tell those other dudes, hey, I'm going to do this. You stand there. You know, like think about Joe Harris. Just stand there. We're going to get you the ball because we're going to demand a double team and a triple team. We're going to get you the rock. And, and and I always tell people, they always want to compare apples to oranges. And like now, everybody's into this thing where you got to shoot a lot of threes. And they, I think they're copying what the Golden State Warriors did. I'm like, hold on. You can't copy what they did because they had three of the best players to ever play this game probably. And, you know, think about it. Steph, one of the best all-time three-point shooters that you're ever going to see in your lifetime, probably. So everybody's trying to copy these people. And I'm like, you don't have what they have to copy them. I appreciate you, your effort, but you can't do it. It's almost like when people back in the day said, oh, we're going to run the triangle. You don't have Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan, so the triangle can't work. And that's what the NBA does. They always want to copy people because that they see it works over here. And, and, and it's not the case. you got to have the, the right pieces to put into those positions. I wanted to ask you that because I've said throughout the entire year and, and for obvious reasons, like defense was optional. You know, there's just mm-hmm. teams that weren't into it. If I talked to teams about it, they'd say, man, when you're down 15 and you're in that empty arena, it's just different. Like it's, it's the guys are kind of checked out a little bit. So you'd see all these scoring. When you see a young guy getting his numbers and understood it's different for a winning team and a losing team, can you kind of tell the difference between a numbers guy and a guy that can play? Uh, you, you know, you, you can you can't. You have a lot of guys you see just, you know, jacking up shots and they're trying to get hot. Um, and that's the difference in the guy, you know, who's just basically getting buckets. You know, you, you, if you look at the way Spider is playing up in um, Utah, he gets buckets. You know what I mean? He can just do it any kind of way. And then you see other guys who come out and they three for 10 from three and you, you, you have, they happy with that. Three for 10 sucks, man. I know everybody said, well, you, you hit shooting 300, but that's not good. If you're going to shoot 10 threes, you got to make five. And that's just how I view it. But I know that's old school and it's changed a lot, but you got to, you, you got to get buckets and spider gets buckets. You know, Durant gets buckets and all these guys that can do it from all over the court and not just depending on the three ball, you know, they, they're going to be in trouble if they, that three ball is not falling. What do you think Anthony Davis needs to do differently? get rid of his trainer <laughs> you know and my thing is you have to look at it i don't know from i don't know if he had the same trainer from the moment he came into the nba and if he has he needs to get rid of him because his trainer is not preparing him for 82 games i know last year was 72 and they had a shortened offseason but i'm just talking about overall because he's had a history of injuries and so if you've had a history of injuries you need to change your workout you need to do something you need to say hey lebron we both in la what you do i'm gonna do because think about it, LeBron has been pretty much an Iron Man until you get a freak accident when someone rolls up on your ankle. He, I, and because I tell people all the time, the NBA season starts in the off seasons, how you prepare your body, how you get your body ready for the 82 grind. And uh, so many guys now about, okay, I did all this in the, in the, during the season. I got to, you know, take the proper time. Yeah, you can take the proper time off, but there's still ways to condition your body to be ready for that grind. I think he needs to find a way or find a new trainer, you know, something to get his body ready for the grind because he keeps breaking down on it. It's just, it's just so too weird to me. 
Yeah, I'm a big AD fan. And the funny thing was when I think about personalities on a team, and we'll get to this with with some of the stuff that you did over your career, but what I liked about it, like if you're coming into LeBron's orbit, like there's some stuff that you're going to have to do. Like he's going to help you win. It's going to be awesome. It's almost all great, but there's going to be an alpha thing. There's there's going to be a hierarchy where if you're with LeBron, like you're never going to be as important as him. Mm-hmm. And I think for some NBA players, it's, it's just not, they may think they can deal with that, but then when it's a reality, it's like, ah, I don't really know if I like this stuff. Where Davis has the personality they think is deferential, where I think he's cool with it. Like in a way, it sort of protects him from some of the stuff. But there are the moments where I think this year, where it's like, okay, you know, you need to kind of motivate yourself. Like you need to find a way of being the other alpha out there as opposed to just the other, other, you know, hall of famer. Cause Davis is going to be one. Um, did you see that at all with his personality? I mean, is that just something, cause he's 28 now at this point, I think it's an accurate description of who he is as a guy, which isn't a bad thing, but I don't know if he's ever going to break out of that, Robert. I, I think he can break out of it. But I just think he hasn't had, you know, people pushing him to break out of because if you think about it he's been exceptional in high school AAU college well when you have college and he gets to New Orleans and it's just it's you have to as a person want to change your mindset because the people around you have put you in that mindset put you on that pedestal where you you're one of the best athletes to play this game but you got to act like you're not you know, you got to go in that lab and start working hard and by and not sit back and rest on your laurels, so to say. So I, I, feel, I think with him, you know, I'm, I, I look at him and sometimes you sit back and you, you in awe at some of the things you can do with his size. And then you, you, you have this game where he comes out and give you 42. And then the next game he gives you, you know, 18 and 20. And you like, yo, uh, it, you just played this team. Do the same thing. I, I, I think with AD, it's, it basically boils out of consistency. And we look at him, we want him to be consistent because all the people who came before him have been consistent. You think about Shaq's, LeBron's, Kobe's, MJ's, because every dude wants to be considered themselves great and put themselves in that hierarchy and with their legacy and whatnot. But you got to understand, these guys had the mindset of, I'm going to beat you down. And I I don't know if AD has that mindset of, I want to beat you down. He wants to beat you. But it takes someone to call him soft, you know, the game before. Now you got to go out and prove people you're not soft. Well, if you do that constantly, you don't have to prove to everybody that you're soft because it would never come up. And I just think he he he's in them after this season. I think with all the injuries, with the people calling him soft, I think this is going to be a turning point for him. And I'm, I'm hoping so because I'm a huge AD fan. But sometimes you need all these things as a superstar. Even, you know, even if you're just a, a, any type of individual playing out, uh, any sport, you need to get hit in the face with some reality sometimes for you to change your lookout, your, your, your workouts, how you look at the game, how you approach the game. And I, I think he, this is a, a, an awakening season for him. So you're in agreement with me because I had mentioned it earlier, like mm-hmm. from what I'd heard, like the game six day of was kind of a weird timeline because <laughs> it was clear he wasn't healthy. He tried to go sort of, but didn't. I'd heard LeBron said, don't even bother. And that AD was sick of guys kind of calling him out. And that's why yeah. he played game six. Yeah, it, it gets rough when you, you I, I wouldn't want to be in this position because you can't, you know, injuries are going to happen. You know, you try to do everything to prepare and some people just injury prone. And I, I think, you know, with Charles Barkley calling him street clothes and people calling him soft, there's a lot of things he can, got bombarded with. And for me, I said, 
I, I tore my groin in college and I know how difficult it was to play. And we didn't switch, so I just was going north-south. And for him to, you know, as soon as they, I was watching this game and they was putting him on a – switching him out on the guard, I'm like, you putting him on Booker? What are you doing as a coaching staff? And that's what made me mad. You, you shouldn't switch with him. You, it, this guy's out here playing on an injured groin and you switching into a little. No, you protect him until he either warms up or he say, yo, I can't go. Because once he switched and book blew by him, he tried to recover – and that's when he messed it up even more. So, you know, I, I applaud him for trying to be out there. And only people who have torn groins or pull groins know how hard it is to move as a basketball player. So he shouldn't have been out there. I wouldn't have did it. I know everybody said, well, we had to have him for a championship. But, you know, he, he wanted him to have him for next year, too. When you came out of Alabama, four years, you know, you get to Houston, you, you're a high draft pick, you know, you're a yeah. lottery pick. How much of a wake up? Because we see this happen all the time in the league, you know. Like, mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not sitting there like thinking Tory Craig at this stage of his career is going. I still can't believe they don't call my number more, but I'll do this for now. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but what, what are those years like for you? You go to this this Houston team that's really good, and you're competing yes. right away. And mm-hmm. you know, I, I imagine you probably weren't thinking, well, Hakeem will be good for me because he can kick it back out, but. I mean, what kind of acceptance do you have to have of yourself as a player to to make a living in this league, knowing that you're not going to be the number one or even two option for most guys? Well, for me, it's, it's it's a mindset. You know, you go from being the man in college to being the man next to the man, next to the man, next to the man. You know, and it's, it's just it's a weird feeling. But for me, I've always had the mindset of winning is the most important thing. I remember in high school, I used to yell at my guys for not shooting the ball. And they were kicking the back. And I said, dude, stop kicking me. Shoot the ball. I need you to get hot, you know, and things like that. And and for me, it's just about playing the sport and enjoying the sport. Because if everybody is successful on the court, while you're in the court, you're successful. And I never went there with the mindset of, um, you know, I need to get this. I need to get that. I wish I would have. I wish I'd have been one of those guys that came out with a voice. Because I, you know, I could score. Uh, I could get, you know, some, some buckets every now and then. But... You know, I didn't, but you can only get bucks when you get plays called for you. And I, I hadn't had plays called for me since I left Houston. But, you know, I, I felt like playing alongside Elijah Wan and Otis Thorpe and Vernon and Kenny, I could learn a lot. Because when you come into a situation that's ideal, and for me, I said this was the perfect situation. Small forwards, what they need. I got a center, a true center, a true power forward, true point, true two, all these things that could make me better. And the only thing I would have changed is I wish I'd have been in there and came in more aggressive. Um, and what I mean by that is when I got there, you know, I got traded for not shooting the ball. And so I had to, you know, I got traded to Detroit. Detroit. What was that trade like? Let me jump in there. What, what, <laughs> what was it like when you got traded? It was miserable because, like I said, it was where I wanted to be. Um, I, and I had just had my daughter and, my, and he, she was sick and it was a lot of things going on with that, you know, as far as in your personal life and then getting traded to Detroit where I didn't want to be because it was cold. You know, uh, I, I did. I wanted to be in the South close to my family. There was a lot of things going on, but it taught me how to just, you know, play the game. And I remember Vernon Maxwell always telling me, do what got you here. It's a reason they drafted you. It's a reason they want you to do this. Do it. Don't sit back and depend on dream." Otis or me or Kenny. And I think Vernon was just a, one of those voices. You know, a lot of people think Vernon is just wild and crazy, mad, Max guy. 
But he was a voice. He was a voice that kind of led the team, you know, because Dream didn't talk that much. Otis didn't talk that much. And, you know, Kenny talked sometimes. But, you know, Vernon was one of those guys, like, I'm going to go out here and lead by example. I'm going to give you everything I got. And for me, it was just a situation where I just had to get refocused in my mind and be aggressive offensively and, and, and try to help the team out as much as possible. And I learned a lot. Yeah, so that was the fun part, you know, learning from the best and winning the championships. What's your favorite Hakeem memory as a teammate? Just the way he ate up David Robinson, man, in <laughs> 95. Uh, just if you, you know, people always sit back and talk about, you know, their Mount Rushmore. And if they don't ever put Hakeem Olajuwon at Mount Rushmore, it pisses me off. Because I played with, you know, Shaq. I played with Tim. I played with Kobe. I played with Clyde. I played all top 50, top Hall of, all Hall of Famers, but no, nobody could compare to what Dream could do on the court. I, I, just imagine MB, Jokic, and all these guys rolled into one guy. And, and, and people don't understand how good this guy was. You go and practice, and we would shoot threes. Dream would shoot you out shooting threes. But at that time, that wasn't what his role was. You know, his role was to play in the basket, do the dream shake, get you 30 points in the paint, and kick it out to us, open the guy, spot it up, and he, and he would do that. And people just don't understand how good this guy was. And it amazes me how you look at all these guys around the league, like LeBron, Kobe, these guys would go to dream to learn his footwork. So that lets you know you go to the master to try to learn something to make yourself better. So who was better, Akeem or Shaq? Akeem was better. Shaq was more dominant, but Akeem was better. <laughs> you want me to expand on that? <laughs> yeah, I, I do. Because look, I I feel like, you know, and I, I know we're all a little guilty of this stuff where it's like, mm -hmm. oh, this guy's so underrated. This guy's because like my two biggest criminally underrated players are Moses and Hakeem. Mm -hmm. Like those are the guys that I go, well, wait, like, is Hakeem too low? You know, and then, I mean, it gets real hard. It gets real hard when we're talking about yeah. like the greatest single players. Like, all right, so go ahead, expand on that. Well, I, I think as far as his talent, I, I, I think Dream had more talent. He could, you know, Shaq had handles, but Dream had a little bit better handles. Dream could shoot free throws. And we all know about Shaq's free throw. He had a fadeaway. Shaq would just, for just, just brute strength, just dunk on you and just, you know, get you out of the way. And I, I think that is the difference was, you know, Dream had a little bit of strength. He could go you know, pound for pound. Because think about it. He went up against Patrick Ewing, you know, a strong guy. David Robinson, strong guy. You know, and, and that's what I mean about Shaq was more dominant in the sense that he could just – Dream wasn't going to dunk on you. He was going to shake you out your pants and then shoot a fadeaway, or he might dunk on you. But it, it's, it's that difference that made – that separated him. You know, Shaq, when he was in Orlando, he had a little bit of more finesse. But as he got older, he got bigger and stronger, and he just knew what to do. He's just, I'm just going to drop step you, dunk on you. I'm going to hit you with a little jump hook and these things. So he was dominant because of his strength and power. And Dream was just a little bit better because his finesse and his power. No, that's a great answer, and I, I would I would agree with a lot of that. And I think <laughs> it's very brave of you as a Lakers analyst to say something like that. <laughs> but you said you said something about David Robinson though that I love, and this is what I you know really enjoy about talking to guys that played. Is you're not always honest with this, certainly not as players, because it doesn't do you any good being honest about it. But I, I sense something with the David Robinson part. Like David yeah. Robinson is a Hall of Famer, really good yes. player. But like, were you guys sitting around in, in Rockets locker rooms, like seeing or hearing about him and being like, "You guys think he's better than our guy?" 
Because it felt like you, the way you you said you love him beating up on David Robinson almost made you think like, because some people back then may have said, no, I'd rather have David Robinson, which I would think is insane. Yes. But that's kind of what I picked up from you there. Maybe I'm picking up too much. I don't know. But, but no, I just remember that 95 series, how um, I think if you go back and look at clips, when Dave, the funniest thing ever was when David Robinson was like, I was, and I thought I played my best defense on him. And Dream averaged like 40 points on him. He's like, I thought I played my best defense on him. And, and that's what, you, you know, and it's always, you know, playing basketball now is about individual defense, but sometimes it is. In this case, it was Dream who was pissed off, so to say, because David was the MVP that year. Dream was the MVP of the previous year, and David got it that year. And I, and I think that was just one of the things that motivates you. We, as athletes, you know, we always look at, 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 at what can motivate us. I know everybody was talking about what MJ did this. Every athlete does what MJ did, where you pick out something to piss you off, to make you go out there and play harder. You do that. Every athlete has to find some way to motivate you to go harder. And I think when getting that MVP trophy in front of Dream, that was the biggest, you know, moment to piss someone off ever. And, 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 I, and it was weird in that series we saw Dream do stuff that we had seen all year. We got into a mode where we were just throwing the ball. It was almost like playground at the record or something. Like, go at him, Dream, you know, and watch. Because he did some things that was amazing. And so I just, I, I, I look at David Robinson. I know he's an awesome player, a great player. But I just think Dream was a little bit better because of the footwork and, you know, the talent, the things he could do on the court. You know, David was a great shot blocker. So is Dream. But when it came to posting up and, putting you in the mix it was all about dream yeah i'm looking him up right now um because <laughs> I, I remember the series i remember being i was look i was more of an akeem guy but yeah i mean 41 and 16 43 and 11 <laughs> he had 20 you guys lost that one but he didn't he didn't well god look at the minutes too 40 41 46 44 47 in game six in game mm-hmm. six 39 and 17 and then you look at the block numbers. I mean, God, that's... See what I mean? Yeah. No, I mean, yeah. look, I, I loved him. I loved him as a player. And it's weird. You know, the thing that I, I tell a lot of guys, I'm sorry to interrupt you, is it's, it's these guys now who average 25 points are happy about this 25 points. You just shot eight threes. Think about these guys who average 25 points with less possession, putting in work on the block, grinding, with a different way they call the game. I'm like, man, y'all points ain't nothing to what these guys used to do back in the day. Man, that's nothing. And so I, I just think, you know, that's one of the things people don't take in, into effect when you look at the guys like the Caps record, Carmelo's record. You know, these guys shot no threes and look at the points they put up. And now these guys, you know, they shooting, you know, think about that one of the Lakers games. They shot 81 times and 40 of them with threes. That's ridiculous. You know what I mean? <laughs> Now people are going to start calling you old, Robert. So just, just giving you a heads up. Hey, um, I'm already old. I, 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 I was, <laughs> hey, if I'm old, LeBron's old, CP3's old, Carmelo's old. Uh, who else I play against in the league? All those guys are old because I played Kevin Durant, Steph Curry. <laughs> I know, Durant. Um, mm-hmm. It doesn't feel old. None of those guys. I mean, Paul feels old because I was looking at because his contract stuff at 36, mm-hmm. but he's going to keep playing. And, and LeBron. Yeah. I mean, that's the weirdest thing about the Lakers thing. There's actually going to be some point where LeBron just doesn't look right. Yeah. And I don't know if it's going to happen overnight. I don't know if it'll be gradual because he still had moments this year where I think he, you know, he's been doing this for years where he paces mm-hmm. himself. But when he wants to go, um, and he reminded us all of that last year with the title because, yeah. you know, he was starting to hear that he was behind these other players and you're like, oh, that was a mistake. Yeah. And you think about this, just think, look at LeBron in his last game when they lost to Phoenix. 
I'd never seen him exert that much energy and he looked good at times. You know, he had some times where, you know, you can tell fatigue set in, but I think that had a lot to do because him being his, had many years, many years in, in the league, this many playoff games, you know, not enough rest time, having an injury, you know, where he couldn't really condition. So I, I think he, he, you know, he put in some work for a guy at his age and his minutes on his body. Yeah. I'm really glad you said that about game six because I felt like he was, he knew, okay, this is nearly impossible, but I'm going to give it a go here. Yeah. And he had two big, long, extended bursts of mm-hmm. trying to do whatever he could. And I think there's a difference between playing 38 minutes and knowing what you have to do over the course of the game. And then there's a difference when you're down 20 and you're going, yeah. I got to follow everything. I got to try to breathe. Like, there's just not every minute is created equal, the amount of exertion that you have. And, and clearly LeBron was trying to go maximum for two yeah, big stretches you, there. You got to give him credit because a lot of guys could just say, you know what, they too hot. I'm just going to sit this out, you know, come back next year. Even the coaching staff could have did that, but I give him a lot of credit. He stayed in there. I want to ask about the shots. I would assume most people ask you about <laughs> 2002 game four with the Lakers down 2-1 when Divots called it a lucky shot. Yeah. And then for whatever reason, he volleyball spikes it out into the open instead of just... <laughs> gra- I've, I hate 90% of the time when, when a big guy would spike the bat. would be like, look, you just... You screw it up. We're all scrambling here. There's a couple times on the spiked out rebound that I'll allow it, but yeah. that was one of the all-time worst. I think everybody says that has to be your favorite. Is is that your favorite of all the game winners? It's 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 my favorite. Yeah, I have I have a lot of favorites. You know, well, you've got <laughs> a lot like of saying, options. <laughs> like, is it is your is your son or your daughter or your your who's your favorite child? You know, <laughs> but I I think that's the one I'm most known for because you if you think about any time you put on the Laker uniform, your 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 spotlight is is a little bit brighter, and to do that in the Western Conference Finals. The way we came back in that game and the, we was playing the Sacramento Kings who thought it was their year. And for me to hit that shot game four at home on our court is always fantastic, man. Because I, I look back at a lot of my game winners. I, I didn't hit that many on my home court, man. It was always on the road. So <laughs> it, 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 it was it was it was fun. I, I think that, you know, overall is my favorite because I to to walk off the court and be in the locker room and still hearing fans chant your name. You know, think about it. It was chanting my name over Kobe's and Shaq. So that makes you feel good. Anytime you can get recognized when you're playing with those two, it, it makes you feel good. So I, I think for me, uh, it has to be one of my greatest shots just because growing up as a Laker fan, being a big Magic Johnson fan, and now to, to be able to accomplish something in a Laker uniform and, and go down in Laker history as um, one of the most clutch shooters of all time. And it, it just makes you feel good to have that moment as a top five moment in Laker history. I would think years removed that, you know, because you're the Lakers and because the team had had this run that you're thinking, okay, well, Sacramento thinks, but we don't, you guys are, so they had that huge lead. Samaki Walker hits that three that actually shouldn't have counted before the half. (laughs) And you hit a bunch of shots in the fourth too. So it was like, you were kind of, like to, like tuned into what you kind of needed. I'm glad somebody said that, man, because they always think I only hit that one shot. I had already no. hit two threes in the corner. <laughs> I watched the game this morning. I did. I watched it again because I remember where I was, you know, when I was sitting around watching it. I remember watching the whole series, but I remember that shot specifically. I was sitting on the floor in front of a television like with a group of people and we were just like, you know, because I kind of like that Sacramento team, but I always felt like you guys probably didn't respect them where you're like, you guys are good. 
but you don't you don't rebut you know the thing that everybody forgets they came back and won game five so if they're yeah. as mentally soft as everybody made them out to be after the fact and i'm sure you guys probably thought at that time then you know you you were they were supposed to be up three one it's two two they go to sacramento they win a close game um and then you guys win the last two and you win at their place but did you think did you i guess i'm trying to figure out what your respect level was for their mental toughness you know, um, I, I think when you you look around that locker room, you know uh, Christy was the, the heart and soul of that team. We had a lot of respect for Christy. He had a hard job guarding Kobe. You know, Scott Paul and Devok, you know, there was those grinded out, finesse type of centers. And, of course, Chris Weber was, you know, one of those guys that was a grinded out, finesse guy too. But, you know, we, we never really looked at them as a team we were worried about. Uh, I think of all the teams we ever played, in the playoffs, there's only been two teams we were worried about. That's was the Spurs and the Portland Trailblaze. You know, those are the only two teams we ever worried about while we was playing, while I was there. Uh, and, and I think with, with Sacramento, we just thought they was, you know, glitz and all glamour. And, and because they were really fancy, they were always trying to do things uh, like, you know, Chris Weber between the legs, you know, baby behind the back. And, they, and the funny part is that the, the starting five never talked trash. It was, you know, the Bobby Jacksons on the bench. It was uh, the uh, Thunderbirds on the bench. It was all the guys on the bench that talked so much trash. And we were like, you talking trash, you're not even out here. You're going to mess around and piss off Kobe, and then he's going to go off on you guys and Shaq. So it was one of those things. We, you know, And, and, and I knew it's, it's weird because the starting five, I knew you don't want to talk trash to these guys because we haven't beaten them yet. You know, just because we up, don't talk trash. And it's the bench that was doing all the trash talking, but um, we respect them in, but not as much as we respected other teams. I, and 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 I, when I say that, I don't mean that as a dig. I just mean it's like it has a level of concern for certain teams that you play. I love that you had another one then too, um, where the 2005 finals. It's it's two apiece mm-hmm. for you in San Antonio and Detroit, and they they like you inbound and they double the hell out of Ginobili. <laughs> and I remember, like, at that stage of your career, I mean, you did it your first year right in the first round series or second round series against Seattle. I mean, you lost the series, mm-hmm. but it was like, it's the forgotten Robert Ori shot where it's like, no, 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 like from, from the How first you know playoffs. About that one, man? That's like my, ba- my favorite shot nobody knows about. <laughs> That's your favorite one against Seattle? Yes, nobody knows because I was a rookie. You think yeah. about that? We in Seattle, game seven. I pull up here to jumper and we go into overtime. You know, he eventually lost. But for me, that was a confidence builder. You know, that, for me, just to do that on that big stage as a rookie, you know, that made me feel good. Because <laughs> when I think of that one, I always go, I wonder if that, I wonder what would have happened if you missed it. You know, yeah. if you missed it, would it be something different? Because I think there are guys, as much as people argue, you know, I'm not going to say I think there are guys. We know there are guys Mm-hmm. That in that moment, they're like, I can't wait to get a chance to do this, to have this huge moment. And then the other group of guys are like, I don't want to do this. I don't yeah. want to do this right now. And I think Jordan, the weird negative influence he had on players is that you think they're just supposed to take it. Like, I don't care if it goes in or not. Like, I took it because I'm the yeah. guy. And you're like, you missed. It was an awful shot. Like, what are you proud of? And you're yeah. like, well, that's what Jordan did. And you're like, yeah, but Jordan made a ton of them too. And I always mm-hmm. feel like that Seattle series, despite losing it, like maybe that subconsciously planted some kind of seed in your head where that moment was always something you were incredibly comfortable with and you were always going to be. You know, it, it, it's, I've always been comfortable with that. I think it goes back to my high school days where I missed a free throw and we lost the game. And I walk in the locker room, I'm looking around the locker room, 
uh, all my teammates are pretty much in tears. And I'm like, oh, crap. And I felt like it was my fault. So I felt like, you know, and I remember walking to the free throw line, like saying, oh, I got to make this. I got to make this. I got to make this. Instead of just going up there relaxed. And, and I, I learned from that very moment, you got to stay relaxed. You know, um, we always say the basketball guys are going to put it in or they're going to knock it out. So for me, I, I think about that. I just go out and I just play the game. You take the shots because we practice shots so many so much during our life and our careers it's become second nature and things we can do in a basketball court and for me I just never thought about it at the moment I just went out and shot the ball and just played and enjoyed the game and 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 if I make it I make it if I miss I miss I think the only time that a shot that I missed ever bothered me was when I missed the shot against San Antonio in my last year as a Laker (laughs) in 2004 I think it was yeah by 2004 that's the only shot I ever missed that bothered me because it was like it rimmed in and out. So, well, I'm glad you got the one in, in 05. They, they hard double <laughs> Ginobili and they just left you. They left yeah. you as the inbounder, which can happen, but it's you. And I mean, even the announcers are like, what the hell? You know, what, what are they doing? And then, you know, you win game five, you win the series. I, I think the funniest part is when you look at the video and, and you see the um, uh, coach, uh, Larry, was like, don't leave Robert Ory. I'm like, like he was in the, he just said in the huddle, don't leave me. And then you go out and you leave me. I'm like, okay. And, and when you that hot, there's no way I'm leaving a guy that hot. And for me, I, I, I was shooting it from all over the floor and there's no way you should have left me. Cause I was going to, I think if, even if she went and left me, I was going to shoot it because I was feeling just that good. Last thought. If you don't make the hall of fame, how will you feel? If I don't make the Hall of Fame, I, I feel the same. Um, and I say that, I, I, I'm not, I'm, let me back that up. I'm lying. I'd be a little disappointed because in your lifetime of playing a sport, you have a, a bunch of different goals. Um, I remember coming out of high school, my goal was to get a free education by playing the sport, which that happened. Uh, my second goal was to um, make the NCAA tournament. That was happening. And my third goal was to make the Olympic team, which didn't happen because of the damn dream team, you know, because I had my mind set. I was like, okay, this is my one goal and I want to make the Olympic team. But then they, they started doing pros and they put Christian Leder instead of me on. I don't know why, but, you know, just kidding. But, um, and then to win the NBA championship. So, and then the final, you know, peg in your career is to, you know, make the Hall of Fame. So I'd be a little disappointed, but overall, I, I, I have to say I had a hell of a, career when it comes to basketball, winning three SEC titles, you know, winning seven NBA championships. Um, I had a successful career. I wouldn't trade it for anything. And, and I think there's a, and, and, and I think there's a lot of people out there who secretly will want my career and uh, they might not want my paycheck. You know, they say like Charles Barkley, he, he will, he would want to change paycheck, but he would want my seven rings. And so I, I think for me, I had a hell of a year, a hell of a career. And if I don't make the Hall of Fame, I'd be a little disappointed, but not overly disappointed because at the end of the day, basketball is a team sport. And I won seven championships doing it. And I think every teammate I ever had respected me. They viewed me as a great teammate. And, and I don't think any of them have anything bad to say about me. And, and that's the most important thing. It was a lot of fun talking to you, man. This was this was a lot of fun. So uh, good luck with the podcast and and keep in touch. All right. Uh, anytime you need me, I'm here for you, brother. This episode is supported by State Farm. So look, a little rock hit your dude's windshield on the highway, and at first you're like, "What is that?" I'm like, "Oh, it's just a little mark." Nope, 
Now, by the end of the ride, it's a big crack. And it had been a while. So I check out the State Farm app. I go, hey, this is what happened. And the funny thing is, is I was like, do I want to go app first or do I call old school guy? Probably should call. I was like, let's check out the app. Not only did it take a minute to get done, they set up the glass replacement. They told me the estimate ahead of time, said, do you want to go ahead with it? And I was like, now I understand it's all in front of me, all done. I didn't even have to talk to anybody. That's how efficient the insurance game has become. But really, the only words you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, just like I did, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to somebody. The app was so good, I didn't even need to do that. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Honda. Honda is committed to achieving carbon neutrality by 2050. And the Prologue EV is their latest innovation in that journey. The Prologue is all the great things you expect from Honda in an EV. As an SUV, the Prologue comes with class-leading passenger space with intuitive features and clean, thoughtful design. The Prologue is more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more. You want details? Bye. I drive a Ferrari, 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So, now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. Okay, the email address is lifeadvicerr at gmail.com. Two things coming up. A friend of mine who's been a writer for like 25 years, he's... um. You know, we had Bill Lawrence on, who was a creator of Scrubs. Well, my friend was, I guess he was the showrunner there for a few seasons. He worked on Scrubs. He worked on Spin City with Bill Lawrence. So that's how I met Bill Lawrence and played in the basketball game, the, the famous uh, pickup basketball game, which I think by the time I was invited to it, um, it was not. I guess there were some real heavy hitters at that game. Anyway, um, so my friend Bill Callahan, who listens to the podcast, has agreed to come on. And so I want to do a life advice for aspiring writers or maybe people that are in the business a little bit. Um, look, I guess if Brad Inglesby hits us up with an email, we'll read it. Uh, the creator of mayor of Easttown, but I would, um, I would say, you know, whatever we'll figure out. You guys send whatever you want to send. I'm not going to send him scripts and send him the scripts or that kind of stuff. So, uh, he didn't want to read my stuff for like 20 years, so he's not going to read yours, but he will give you some advice and he's a huge, huge sports fan. He has an incredible, incredible story. Um, played football in college and that whole deal. And then actually played professionally, like I think in Spain, American football. And we're talking like 20 something years ago or longer than that. So he's going to come on and he has some awesome NFL stuff. Like he's totally locked in. So he'd be like a legit sports guest. So we're going to do that. And then we're going to do another fitness one. So just when you write in your emails for those life advices, put writing life advice or script life advice so that we can sift through them. And then I'll send a handful of them to uh, my buddy. Now, somebody else who I connected with, who I'm a huge fan of his workout stuff. So I don't want to make the other fitness people that listen to this because there's another powerlifting guy that I want to have on at some point too. Um, but it just so happened I hooked up with Jeremy Scott. You can follow him at Jeremy Scott Fitness. His workouts are awesome. They're, I just have always really liked what he's done and he agreed to come on too. So there you go. So we can do another fitness round with somebody different, some different perspective um, than our last guy, Whitney. 
Um, and then we're going to do the one, the writing deal. All right. So there you go. Tie it all up. All right. Here we go. Uh, first one, the overpriced shirt. A buddy of mine, let's call him Paul. This is a really good and simple one. And we, I think a lot of us have been there. That's why I like the email. So good pick, Kyle. Uh, he recently had something happen to him. I think everyone's experienced at least once in their life. I was hoping to get an official verdict to save not only him, but all your listeners. They too will face this fork in the road moment at some point. That's what I liked about this. This was light. This was light. All right, setting the scene. Paul was golfing at a bucket list place in Wisconsin. He underestimated the breeze on the course and was stuck in a short sleeve shirt. A decision needed to be made. Choice A, stick it out with the short sleeve shirt and risk blowing a bucket list golf experience because he was freezing cold. Choice B, go to the pro shop and buy a long sleeve shirt. Selection, choice B. He spent a ton on this golf experience. Let's not ruin it because he was not properly dressed. After scanning the pro shop, there was a limited selection for long sleeve shirts that fit him. Also, being a high-end course, the price tags were not cheap either. Next thing he knows, he's buying a $175 long sleeve, by far the most expensive shirt in his wardrobe, but it had to be done. Five holes in, weather warms up. Long sleeve shirt is no longer needed. The rest of the round. He gets home after a great day in the course and pulls the $175 long sleeve out as he gets home and is disgusted with the purchase after getting a better look at it. He doesn't know what he was thinking. Blame it on the fancy golf course. Heat of the moment. Hates the shirt. And the shirt is about $100 more expensive than anything else in the closet to pour salt in the wound. The advice needed. If you make an obscenely bad shirt purchase, what is the next move? The way I see it, there are three options. One, force the shirt into your rotation. It won't feel great, but you have to justify the purchase. Two, leave the shirt to sit in your closet in hopes it one day grows on you and you start to like it. Three, give the shirt away, cut your losses and move on. All right. um, I've been there, man. You know, I've been there when golf trip with the boys, I was missing something. You're at the pro shop and you buy something you're just not going to want. I remember the first year we were on college game day. I was like, you know, it'd be cool. I'm going to buy something from every school that I go to, which was really stupid because then I had a, just a closet full of golf shirts for a guy that like stopped golfing and I was never wearing them. And I usually was, you know, over time it'd be cool enough that the school or the workout guys would give us some stuff to wear anyway for free. So I'd be spending between like 75 or 80 bucks on a shirt just to kind of say I did it because I thought it was kind of cool that I'd been to all these places I'd never been before. And you know what I didn't ever want to wear was a double XL, big button down, short sleeve golf shirt that was bright auburn orange. Send that over, dude. <laughs> that thing's been given away. That was, that was on the other. And that was back when guys were wearing baggier stuff. And we're talking 08. So I wasn't trying to like go slim fit. That was just, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to buy it. And I would look at it and I'd go, what was the process where you were like, yep. And that's the one. I don't know. Maybe it was the Under Armour thing at that point, you know, still kind of like new hot brand. So um, I can't help but notice that like, if this is a hundred dollars more than every other shirt this guy has, he doesn't like spending money on clothes. Some, there'll be some pushback to that comment. But I mean, there's, you know, there's two types of guys, like guys that are not afraid to spend a couple hundred dollars on a dress shirt because they are either getting, you know, a couple of Brionis or, I mean, you can go even far beyond that. I, I'm, I've never gone to the $400, $500 dress shirt level. I know that's probably horrifying to hear from any of you. So if this is already like, if the emailer, I'm also wondering if the emailer is Paul, but um, we got a different <laughs> name here. So if you don't, if this guy, Paul, doesn't like spending money on shirts, then 175 is crushing him. 
um, this is bothering him. Sometimes people will look at it that way. Like I would, I would try to go, Hey, I'll probably spend $175 on, on something worse over the next couple of years. Or maybe this guy's, you know, one of those rich dad, poor dad, um, zealots who, who would just be like, you can't do stuff like this. You literally can't do stuff like this. But if he had enough money to put together this golf trip, chances are there's some discretionary income where the $175 share purchase isn't going to ruin his day. But I do understand being in the pro shop, looking around, being like, hey, maybe I get a hat from this place, you know, $45 later. And then a week later, you're like, why did I buy that hat? Why did I buy it? It's stiff. It's awkward. It's not comfortable. I'm never going to wear it out. Like, I don't, I don't know why I did it. You know, it's just, Sometimes it's being at a sporting event or being at the concert. And you just want to buy something and say that you were there. And it's like, you know, I don't really need this. So to wear it, to force yourself to wear it seems like the dumbest option because then you're just punishing yourself all over again. I mean, it's already bad enough that you spent one, 175 because you were emotional about the purchase. Um, honestly, you should have just played in short sleeves. It's not, it couldn't have been that cold if it warmed up enough later on. So that's another issue. Um, I can't imagine there wasn't some sort of pullover that maybe would have worked out, but hey, limited. All right, fine. I'll I'll defer to you on this one. But to keep wearing it, even though you hate it, I don't know. Or maybe it'll be a nice little reminder. In a weird way, now I've kind of changed my mind on that one where originally I thought of it as a punishment. Maybe I like that punishment. Maybe I like to be kept in check. Maybe it'd be a lesson that this guy can think about it forever. Because the idea that he's going to warm up to it in a couple of years doesn't make any sense. And then, of course, he could always gift it to somebody that he normally wouldn't buy some for someone, but if you already ripped the tags off, then they're probably going to know, oh, wait, like you hated this and then you gave it to me or they're completely oblivious because we have friends and family that are where you're like, hey, I was thinking about you. I had to wear it that day, but I knew you'd really like it. And then you give it to that person. And then the $175 isn't even close to the amount of equity that you've bought with this person who thinks you actually hooked them up with something really, really nice that deep down you hate. So if there's somebody you think that would appreciate it, go ahead and give it to them. But I'm just giving you a warning Hopefully, it's not somebody smart enough to figure out all the reasons that they got it were because of what you said in the email. Kyle? I think you nailed it. I've done that. Like I did that at the Masters once. I have this weird-looking Masters um, golf shirt, and I don't spend a ton of time on a golf course, but I just had to get you something had from to. my dad. Yeah, I had to. I got like a, a fucking hat clip. A- Augusta is different. Yeah, you're right. Wait, you got a hat clip to like, re- you mean like to repair the green? I don't, is that what that's for? I don't know. You don't even know a, what it is. It was like a it. little golden thing to go on my visor that I know I don't, never wear visors, but I got a master's visor too. And, you know, the, the worst part of the master's was I spent so much time collecting all those cups and then Bill didn't do any. And then by the time that uh, we left, he took like almost all my cups. I had like a fucking cup snake going at the master's and Bill just didn't feel like walking around with him. And then you got to take the master's cups when you go home. So I have two, I have one of each color and he has a bunch. But thanks for bringing me, Bill. Yeah, I hope no one writes a blog about Bill taking your cups. What uh, what were you like at Augusta, by the way? I didn't even... Re- is this no, when he dude, brought Dr. Bill? Yeah, yeah. I was in heaven. It was like $5 beers, $2 sandwiches. Come on. How I many know. of those chicken nice. sandwiches did you have? Uh, the chicken sandwich is good. I actually was going for the pimento cheese. Big yeah. pimento cheese. I, I just sampled everything. I'm sorry, Saruti, I cut you off. No, I was gonna say the pimento. Yeah, so that's what it's known for, right? Uh, I, I was maybe a stupid question. Well, first off, I think if you're gonna buy something in a pro shop, don't take the tag off right away, right? Can you just return it after your round's over? What do you feel? If, what if you feel it in your backswing a little bit, though? I mean, that's just kind of <laughs> something you're gonna have to deal with if you don't love the shirt. You're nah. kind of weird about paying 175 dollars for a shirt at a pro shop. But here's the other thing: you don't give it away. You why don't you just sell it on Poshmark? Facebook Marketplace. There's play, you could recoup at least half of that back, I'd imagine, right? There's ways to not take the total L on this. 
Do you think there's a ton of younger people on Poshmark looking for a slightly used Wisconsin Pro Shop <laughs> Maybe. long sleeve? <laughs> I mean, if you get 50 bucks for it, is that at least you get 50 bucks back? I don't know. Maybe it's like a nice Nike dry fit thing. I'd imagine if it's 170, it's not like some you know POS thing. It's probably decent. So I don't know. Explore your option before you give it away. I feel so bad about Poshmark. Um, Michelle Smallman, who is our friend and my former producer and Saruti's very close with. When I was leaving Connecticut, when I was like, all right, I'm probably out of here. And I had so much clothing, but there were a couple like, you know, second tier. They weren't entry level diesel jeans. They were like a boot cut. Yeah, they were, they were, you know, a couple sevens in there. (laughs) I think there was even maybe a pair of true religions. No one can confirm on that one. And then Michelle and I were talking, I I was like, I don't know what to do all this stuff. And and I, I don't know if I proposed it to her or she proposed it to me. So I I don't want to speak for anyone because people are going to hear it and be like, well, that's lame. You had your producer sell your clothes on Poshmark. But I was like, (laughs) look, if you want to do it, I'll make it worth your while. It's not about the money, but I just don't want to give it all away or throw it. You know what I mean? So it's it's nice stuff. Like it's all nice stuff. Even if it's a little outdated, except for, you know, some of the (laughs) stitching, some of the stitching may have been frowned upon now. So, she was like in and she organized everything and numbered it all and listed it. And I mean, on and on and on. And then it was like, there were no bites, zero, just wasn't happening. And then she's like, <laughs> I don't know what to do. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know what the final transaction is. I hope I'm pretty sure I took care of her. I hope I did. Um, we will check on this after the fact, but I think I ended up being like, do whatever you want with the clothes then. Cause I'm, I'm out of here. It's not going to happen. Not a big market for those. No, I yeah. listen. I, I, I'm just saying, t- Explore your options first. You don't have to take the, the loss on this. But I've I've gotten to a point where now I'm so afraid to buy clothes because I bought stuff that I don't that I know I don't wear that I just freak myself out. I'm like, well, am I actually going to wear this? I never end up buying any new clothes. Oh, well, that's good. I mean, you know, I, I think this guy cared about the golf round that much. Apparently he shot well, too. So, I mean. Let's it's not the end of the world, you know, there's bigger things. There's bigger things going on. I understand. I, I like that it was light and he brought it up. But the more I'm thinking about it, we spent too much time on it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, because he's like, not like me where he can't stop himself from doing it. He did it one time and he can't sleep about it. So I'd say it's better to be that guy than the guy who's like in Park City, Utah, buying his fourth fucking flannel. So, you know, wow. I think that guy's fine. I really don't like guys in Park City. That's <laughs> no, not me. Like I'm the guy. I'm the guy in oh. Park City, Utah, who buys a flannel every time I go. I've been to Sundance twice and I have four flannels. Okay, see, this is the thing with Kyle is like, we think we know him and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, I went to Augusta and then the second time I was at Sundance, I've been to Sundance zero times. Every year I'm like, I'm this is the year I'm going to go and then I'm like, oh, that's another year I didn't go. Like, I'll forget. It kind of lines with the Super Bowl. It's like sort of before it and then it's like, well, can I go the week before and then go to the Super Bowl? That doesn't seem to make a ton of sense. Um, I'll show you around. What's your, what's your, yeah, what's your Park <laughs> City routine, Kyle? Uh, it's kind of a lot of wandering because a lot of the bars are like pop-ups and I'm not even sure I totally understand the alcohol rules and I don't want to be like in a Park City uh, jail for like jaywalking. I just, I'm a little on edge in Park City just because I feel like they're just different folk. And I was at a bar last time I was there standing up and some woman who was like a local came up to me is like, just so you know, you can't be standing up with a drink in your hand. And I was like, what? She's like, yeah, you have to be seated. And I was like, oh man, I don't, I just left. I didn't know what to do. Just drink at the apartment. You, You know, they show movies that week, right? Well, yeah, no, I've actually never been to one movie. <laughs> twice. Been there twice, never went to one movie. I thought my Disney World stat was ridiculous that I've been, I think, seven times and never gone into Disney World because I was always there for NBA stuff and then one speaking engagement where I think everybody else canceled. 
And ESPN put me on a plane like immediately. And it was pretty funny. It was Joe Namath. That's really, you've been to Sundance twice and you haven't seen a movie. Yeah. I've, I've, but I've watched movies that came out because I saw advertisements at Sundance for them. All right. So I was like, hey, Not this was at Sundance. We should watch McMillions. Not a total loss for you. No. No. So do you, you go to Sundance to kind of educate yourself, plant the seed for art. And then you're like, all right, now yeah, I'll check it out. Exactly. Okay. Are you busy? Were you doing other things? Because I feel like uh, we did the, a couple stuff. Point. Yeah, we did stuff. You know, we did stuff. But, you know, it was really just like, what's going on tonight? Where can you get me? Can't go to that one. Maybe I'll meet you at this one. I heard John Hamm's going to be kicking it around. Smoke a cigarette with him. Did you smoke a cigarette with John Hamm? Yeah, yeah. My claim to fame. One time. What'd you guys talk about? Uh, I don't want to say it was awkward, but it was a little awkward. <laughs> Did he know that you were Bill's nephew? Yeah, he was at the table. Like I'm, I'm just sitting at this table with him, and then uh, I went out to smoke a cigarette, came back, and then he went out later. So I just was like, all right, well, it's time to smoke another cigarette. John Ham now. That's that's not a terrible story. That's good. So Sundance was a total loss, and he bought some flannels, Saruti. Obviously, that's what he does when he goes there. He shops for flannels. I love that you had no idea that you bought something to fix divots on a green. That's what it was, huh? That's you what it, it like is. A cool clip. That's you just like the clip. I think I gave it to my dad, who is a golfer. So that's well, then he knows what to do with it. Yeah, so there you go. Do it. Give Work the shirt out. to your dad. Okay. Before we get to the next life advice, I did need to do what should be the last installment of the cushion thing. This is fascinating because I have a good friend who's texting me about it. A lot of people are very excited about the cushion thing where I also, along with Kyle, have the emails. So we're seeing all the correspondence that I haven't read all of it about like, hey, here's what's happening. This is the follow up. This is the plan. Okay, here's the final thing that I shared with you guys where we had somebody say, hey, it was me. I freaked out. You don't know them that well. After the first installment of the cushion timeline, we had a lot of people emailing in saying it's the wife, it's the wife, it's the wife, right? You get a lot of Columbos on the scene here saying it's the wife. And then I read the deal where the guy's like, hey, it's not my wife. She's a neat freak. I share that with everybody. People are like, it's the wife, it's the wife. And then I read the final installment. Pretty convincing. Um, we have a confession from another one of the guys that was at the party and then the follow-up setup party. And people still emailed in or hit us up on Twitter being like, nah, it's still the wife. It's not about the cushion anymore. It's about us. We hate changing our fucking minds about anything. I mean, this speaks to all of us right now in that I know I'm stubborn on certain things, but I also feel like there's things that I'm stubborn on that I've put a lot of work into where there are other things I'm not stubborn on because I know deep down, yeah, you're not really as educated on this one as you'd like to be. So, you know, lay out. And because of the first part, I'm more willing to do the second part, which doesn't make me better. It's just that I know how ridiculous the first part of it is when it's about stuff that I'm very into. But this is hilarious. Like guys are still emailing in being like, nah, it's the wife. It's like, no, no, you thought it was the wife and you were wrong. And now you're like, nah, it's still the wife after a confession, <laughs> Saruti, after somebody said, no, this is exactly what went down. Yeah, this is like watching mayor of East town and denying the ending of the movie. Spoiler. I'm All not right, going to spoil it. No, All no, right. we're not spoiling it. I'm just saying denying the end and be like, no, 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 that person didn't do it. It's like, yeah, that's what No, happened. let's do this they one. It'd be like it. it'd be like watching usual suspects and be like, uh, I still don't think it's him. They're still waiting for the alternate ending. Yeah. Like, <laughs> uh, I don't really think I don't think it's spacey. I think he was fake. <laughs> I think he actually really limps and he was faking not limping. Yeah. Uh, pretty cut and dry. All right. Okay, last one here for today. 
59220 full dad bod. I look decent. Good arms. Haven't benched in a while, but I think it'd be around 220 for a couple reps. I run three to six miles two to three times a week. But I definitely enjoy a beverage or two, and it shows in the midsection. Hey, man, you're putting the miles down. Don't feel good about all of it. All right. I want to preface this by saying I know it may come across as cheesy, but I'm genuinely looking for advice. Top Gun is my favorite movie of all time. Make sure you see the new Top Gun with Miles Teller. Um, Top Gun is my new favorite movie, or is my favorite movie of all time. So we're talking 86. And for those of you that are younger, like my co-hosts here, um, also understand that like when that movie came out and I was 10, it was people writing down like, yeah, you know, want to be a fireman or maybe a fighter pilot. Like people were convinced like, you know, I'd really like to go to pilot school because it was a big deal. That movie was a really big deal. So you have to be a certain age to understand how big of a deal that movie was when it came out because there were kids boys and little girls both saying, yeah, I'd probably like to be a fighter pilot. And it'd be like 25% of the class would be saying it because of that movie. All right. So there you go. So at my age, our guy's 38. It's rare that I come across people that haven't seen Top Gun. Surdy, have you seen Top Gun? I have. I didn't love it, but it's a different story for a different day, but I've seen it at least. You have seen it. Shocking. Kyle? Yeah, totally. Okay. You liked it? Yeah. There you go. All right. A couple underwhelming of rules here from the younger guys on the pod, but to be understood. All right. So the wife of a couple people we've recently become close with has never seen it. And upon finding this out, I jokingly, but also seriously said, we need to have a movie night and watch it together. Exclamation point. They came over for a hangout on Memorial day. And before that, lots of group thread texts were sent jokingly saying we were going to watch it together while the kids played and everyone was on board. But like I said, it was always super lighthearted and had a joke vibe to it, even though I was being semi-serious. They came over and we had a nice day. And I'm good at the reading, <laughs> I'm good at reading rooms. And I could tell everyone was praying I didn't make things awkward and suggest we watch Top Gun. I made one super awkward, lighthearted joke to test the waters and instantly knew it wasn't happening. So yeah, my question is, do I give up or do I try again? And if so, what advice do you have to make this happen? Once again, my son's middle name is Cruz. <laughs> That's right. I left that part out. Um, right. Because Top Gun's my favorite movie. I have a legit obsession with Tom Cruise. My son's middle name is Cruz. My wife had a family name that was important for the first name, and I obliged as long as I got Cruz for the middle. So he gave up the draft pick rights to the first name for the middle name to be named later. And so he got Cruz. That was an important sentence to make sure everyone here in the audience understands the passion that our guy has here. All right. So two things stand out. One is the answer to this. No, fucking drop it. Okay. Just drop it. It's a movie. Like you like it. Other people, one person hasn't seen it. It's, it's all right. Like this isn't a new vitamin here. It's a, it's a movie. The other thing is, and I don't know if people are with me on this one. I think watching movies together at your house, I don't know if that's a thing. I think when you're younger, sure, hey, throw in a movie, but married couples, I don't know that married couples get together and go to each other's houses to watch movies anymore. Does that happen? Because there's like cuddling going on. Who knows what the rules are? But in general, wait, is this guy a swinger? You know what I mean? Do, do we see a pineapple out front? I think there's a lot of stuff here that has nothing to even do with Top Gun, where I just would imagine a, heart, like a, a higher percentage of married couples would not be into going to another couple's house to watch a movie. I mean, unless you've got a sick home theater, and I'm not just talking about 5.1 here, like we used to get excited about in the late 90s and early 2000s when I had a buddy that bought a Zenith surround sound, I think, with five speakers and ordered the subwoofer and be like, you got to come over and listen to Ransom. 
like Ransom is your choice for a good surround sound movie. Again, this is late 90s, so you got to bear with us here. So now, um, you know, unless we're talking full theater seating, lighting, the whole deal, I, and I'm, you didn't bring that up. So, I mean, if this is just, hey, I'm going to throw on Top Gun, I guess digitally at this point, or maybe you have the DVD direct, I don't know, and you're going to sit on the couch and then me and my wife are going to I don't think there's many couples that would even want to sign up for that unless you had some bootleg, you know, of, of the next Batman that hasn't come out yet. So don't take it personally. And I'm not even talking about you, but to the art that is Tom Cruise and Top Gun. Um, but I would I would let this one go. I mean, everything you've said, you didn't say, hey, I'm semi-serious. You're 100% serious that you want these people. To, <laughs> but the other thing that's going to be weird, too, is you're going to be watching Top Gun and you're going to be looking at her, evaluating whether or not she's appreciated. And you're going to be disappointed. You're going to be so disappointed. Mm-hmm. Take it from here, guys. That's it. You're just going to be so disappointed. That's happened to me with uh, Big Lebowski. I, I tried to like multiple girlfriends was like, you got to see it. And they're fucking looking at the phone and there's an awesome joke. Walter's, you know, uh, doing his thing and she's not getting the Donnie jokes. And it's like, oh, you're wasting both of our time. And it's like, you don't want to be in that position. These are the Big Lebowski Urban Achievers. Oh, so these are his kids? Yes. Well, his children. Oh, so, okay. So he's pretty cool. <laughs> uh, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead, Saruti. No, I, Kyle absolutely nailed it. You are going to be bummed out because you're going to be watching the movie through that other person. And when they don't laugh at something that you think is hysterical, it's going to bum you out. And I just I think it's a bad move to, to push your taste onto other people. Unless you're really close, unless it's like a sibling or something. Yep. But if you're going to be like, hey, you have to listen to this album, or you have to watch this movie, and then to listen or watch it with that other person, you're going to be disappointed 99% of the time. Yeah, taste pushers can get real annoying. I've done it a few times, you know, somebody you really like, a band you really like, but then you just realize, you know what? The music thing was always hilarious with the roommates because it'd be like if one guy that was like he was identified as the guy that really liked that band. Like if one guy really liked widespread, then he would kind of be the widespread guy, but he would want other people to appreciate it. But then it'd be weird if like another guy who knew widespread later because of the first roommate then liked widespread even more and comes back to, you know, fall semester. He's like, yeah, I saw him three times this summer. It was awesome. And now that guy's more of a widespread guy than the first guy was. Then that builds animosity. So taste pushing in general despite the fact that we all probably do it to a certain degree, whether it's a new town, like, oh, you got to check out this town. Like, I'm a weirdo about Burlington, Vermont, because I'll be like, oh, you got to go to Burlington. No, no, go to Burlington. Like, did you love it? I did it to Saruti not that long ago. I was like, oh my God, you're going to Burlington? Here's a list of a million things you want to do. I'm not a huge assist vacation guy. And for that one, I try to put some time into it, even try to set them up. But granted, there were some COVID restrictions still in place, so he wasn't going to get access to all the stuff that he normally could. And I'm not even telling you to not taste push. I think what I'm saying is when you taste push, don't be disappointed when the person doesn't get as hooked on it as you are. Isn't it great when it works out, too? Like Deadwood? You guys know about Deadwood? I'm doing it right now. You guys watch Deadwood on HBO? You're going to love it. Thank me later. I mean, I've heard it's great, uh, but that's about it. It's also like 15 years old. Okay. It is. Ian McShane at his best. I don't I don't really know how you're gonna argue with that. No, Deadwood's great. Deadwood's okay. great. Everybody awesome. should Deadwood, check it out. Deadwood's one of those shows though where I've I've heard like a dozen people tell me how good Deadwood is, and I just I don't know. I just don't know if I'll ever get to it. But maybe Kyle will push me over the top. Who knows? Nice. But like Van Pelt's a taste pusher in that he has to be the first that samples it. Oh but that then guy. but then if you like it, like he hasn't Van Pelt still hasn't watched the wire. And he's from Baltimore. 
granted, he didn't probably grow up where most of the show was shot, but I would have thought he would have appreciated Valchek's accent or whatever, and just the the reference of some of the things. And he's like, oh, the wire, the wire, the wire. Oh, everybody likes the wire. The wire is so good. And we're like, you know what? In this case, it actually is that good. So you're denying yourself five seasons of arguably the greatest show that was ever on television. And it still actually holds up a little bit if you can get past the lack of technology advancements, because back then they were telling the story based on wiretaps and stuff that, you know, wouldn't be as relevant today. Pay phones, ever heard of them. But Van Pelt would resist it. Van Pelt was a just say no to new tastes no matter what. But then if he was on something early, then he would be like, Breaking Bad's the greatest thing ever. And he was like the Breaking Bad guy at the office. Yeah. And you were like, yeah, Breaking Bad's awesome. You know what else you like? It's The Wire. I'm like, oh, I don't want to watch it. I bought him. I gifted him the first season. Apple TV, like, buy it for. Here's your email. I'll be like, hey, did you check your email? I bought you the first season of The Wire. Done and done. <laughs> he was like, oh, I got to check. I, I don't know. I don't think the email went through. Or uh, And I just, I just wasted 20 bucks. I wasted 20 bucks trying to be like, hey, I already did it all for you. Just hit this link and now you're going to have it on your iPad. And when you're on a flight, you can now, like, you know how downloads work, right? You're aware of the internet. We had it here for about a couple of decades. And he was like, yeah, I can't, I can't figure it out or something. So he's never watched it. And I don't care. This is going to get back to him and we're going to have him on again soon. We were talking last week. It's, I get not wanting to be as into something as somebody else is, but then there are times where you're just being stubborn for no reason and you're only punishing yourself. So... I think we got it. Thursday podcast. And also remember, email lifeadvicerr at gmail.com. Put fitness or writing or both, but don't get greedy about the next life advice guest that we're going to have on. And we will talk to you with uh, James Posey Thursday, potentially. And we're going to have Luke Wilson on where he has a new movie coming out, but I'd rather talk about Bottle Rocket for the entire time. So I try to do as much of that as I can. That'll be Thursday. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just... Once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com.